This morning's scripture is the uh, reading from for the fourth Sunday of Advent. It also is uh, right in tune with where we've been leading you as a congregation and group of leaders. It comes from Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, the words are in your hands, in your pew Bibles. The Bibles you brought are on the screens uh, provided for you. Hear the word of God uh, and let it speak right into your heart today and let it contextualize the Christmas that comes to us. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor the Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his child shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. May God add his blessing to our reading of these scriptures Will you join with me in a time of prayer? O Lord God, on this morning, as we stand at the edge of Christmas, the words of your prophets proclaimed here ripple through our hearts. For the prophet proclaims the child who comes, comes to provide much to us. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor because his very presence will reassure our souls whether it is at Christmas time or some other moment, when our lives are disrupted by brokenness, grief, upsetting feelings, sadness, or calamity, the God is with, who is with us, Emmanuel will counsel our hearts and bring us to wholeness, for he never leaves. The prophet says that he will be our mighty God, and we need a mighty God. Our lives, finite and frail, are useful and worthy only when viewed in the perspective that we are children of a mighty God who controls and cares about every aspect of our creation. While today we commemorate your coming in the form of a baby, you never intended us to see you only as one wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. Throughout Scripture and the world around us today, in the strong name of Jesus at which every knee shall bow, for you are a mighty God, the mighty God. And we need a mighty God to lead our lives. The prophet says that Emmanuel, God with us, who comes, shall also be known as Everlasting Father. We cherish this holy parenting, dear God. If all else fails, if every human relationship we have crumbles, there you are. Your arms of grace and mercy reaching to us. You hold us in the palm of your hand with love and kindness. And you are the Prince of Peace. Every day, Lord. We pray that not another man, woman, or child will be harmed by acts of war. Yet every day in many places in this world, men, women, and children die in warfare. Help us to resolve these things in our hearts 
that make us feel as people, nations, and even religious bodies that we must fight to make our point. Prince of Peace, deliver us. Deliver us even from ourselves that your reign might happen here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we ask that you wrap your arms of love and mercy, guidance and strength around Pastor Keith this morning. Allow the words that flow from him be directly inspired by you and let him speak of you to us for you that our hearts and lives might be transformed. This holy God, we pray as we stand at the edge of Christmas in your name. Amen. Good morning. The text that we're dealing with this morning in Isaiah begins with the word nevertheless, which means that it's a continuation of thought from the previous chapter, and the word nevertheless indicates kind of a but, or a however, and what the nevertheless is referring to in chapter 8 is this discussion about this great darkness that the Israelites were in, this this time of, of oppression, and this time of, of being conquered, and this time of, of a complete lack of what to do and and where to go, and ultimately just this deep darkness. But Isaiah points them to a future, which Isaiah does. He's he's a little unique in in terms of of what a prophet does. A lot of the prophets just, you know, are there to to, to warn and to, to rebuke and exhort. Isaiah does that, but more than that, Isaiah likes to encourage and point to the future and say, well, this is how bad things are right now. But, nevertheless... For those of you in these lands, those of you in these places, there is going to be a great light that's going to come to you. And then he goes on to describe this great light. It's as if he's saying to them that you've got a great big problem and God is about to fix it. Now, anybody here ever fix something that wasn't broken? You ever do that? Yeah, all the men are going, yes, I've done that. I'll tell you, when I first moved here about a year ago... uh, I was driving a 2001 BMW 325i. Now, a lot of you were like, ooh, who's this hotshot guy with a BMW? You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, I'll tell you something. That went away as soon as I showed people the mileage on the car. It had about 300,000 miles on it. And, and it went away even more when you drive by wherever I was staying and you'd see me underneath that thing, you know, banging on stuff with wrenches and trying to figure stuff out. You see, you know, I'll be honest with you. I was, I was drawn into that whole thing, and, and when I bought that car, it had 200,000 miles on it. And, and, you know, I know the rules. I know that when you buy a car with that many miles, you're expecting problems. But for some reason, I thought, well, not this one. It's so shiny. It can't possibly have anything wrong with it, <clears throat> right? And so, so, of course, you know, I, I bought that thing, and wouldn't you know it, just about driving off the lot, started having problems. Those little lights come on. You ever see those lights? You know, the check engine lights or whatever. In European cars, it's like you don't even know what those lights are, right? Just some sort of like, you know, explosion light is going off, and you know you're going to be in trouble. And and because I didn't have a lot of money, because I spent it on the car, to take it to an expensive dealership, I had to learn how to be Mr. Fix-It Man with this car. Now, I am not Mr. Fix-It Man when it comes to cars. But I went out and I bought the manual, and I get on YouTube and watch videos, how to fix this, how to change that. And, And sometimes you get on there, and it tells you what your problem is, or you think you know what your problem is, and, and you go to the store, and you buy the appropriate part to fix your problem, and then you go home, and you fix that problem, and then what happens? Do I even need to say it? You get back in the car, you turn that thing on, and then what do you know? Boom, that light comes back on. You fix the wrong thing. So yeah, you've got a great new O2 sensor, but really, 
you know, your, your, your brakes were bad. Or something like that. And that would be typical to what I would experience. So I, I, I fixed a lot of things that haven't been broken. And, and, and sometimes you can really tell, like when you go into those shops and the, the, the guys that are behind the counter, you know, when you, when you, whenever you order a part, you're like, hey, I, 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 need that, uh, I need that new Johnson rod. Can you hand that to me, please? Or whatever. They're, they're looking at that going, going, oh, okay, well, that's the problem then. Because you can tell a lot about what a problem is by looking at what's going to fix it, right? So, so when, when, you, when you see those things, right, and you're like, okay, this is the guy's problem because I looked at the remedy. That, that, he, that he used to fix it. But sometimes, whatever this happened to everybody, you, you misread your problem so you get the wrong remedy, right? You, you think that your problem is this, so you fix that, but really your problem is something far different. And I think that's ultimately what this text is about. It's about people looking at the wrong problem, but God saying, here's your remedy. And, and it's found in this text when you look through it. These people have been oppressed, and, and, and there's all this talk of war and, and, and military, all this stuff. But then Isaiah drops this thing on him, and I think it's in, in verse 6 where he says this. He talks about this, this yoke that, that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the, the rod of their oppressor and the, the warrior's boot, all this stuff. But then here's the answer to their problem. He says this. But for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Now, what is that about? Why does he say that a son is given, a child is born? You see, here's the deal. The darkness that the Jews were walking in, although they considered it a result of, of their circumstances around them, you know, the things that other people were doing to them, we do that, right? That's what we consider our darkness to be, right? The bad things that are happening around us. That's what the Jews were doing. God was coming to them and saying, no, the, the, your darkness is not the result of these negative things that are happening to you. Your darkness is the result of something that's happening in you. You see, the darkness that these people experienced and that indeed we experience is, is, is the result of our sin. It's the result of what happens in our hearts when we turn from God. That's where the darkness comes from. But if we're not careful, we can misread that darkness. And we can misread the remedy to that darkness the way the Jews did. You see, have, have you ever noticed that, that they're so focused on their conquests and their land and all this stuff like that, but Jesus doesn't come to fix any of that. You see, Jesus recognizes the darkness is something that is totally different. See, we, we have the same problem. I know in my own life, I've looked at times of darkness, and, and oftentimes I've experience that darkness and i think you know what i'm talking about that that place in your life where you just feel gloomy and that there's no hope and that things are terrible and all is lost and, and what we tend to do this is what i've done is tend to look around and go well if that were to change and if that were to change and if that person would stop doing that and if i got this and if i had more money and if my house was nicer and if my car didn't quit breaking down you know all this kind of stuff like that there's the answer to my darkness you know, it kind of reminds me of all the, the, the political ads that we saw over the campaign. You say, please don't bring that up. Right? We're done with that, right? Well, you know, I, I was remarking watching the debate. I watched a little bit of one debate, and I saw a lot of the ads. And everyone's real good at saying, well, here's our problem. It's because of what you did. And here's the problem here. It's because of what you're doing, and it's because of what them, and it's because of that situation, and this policy, and that piece of legislation. You know what I've never seen or heard anybody do in that world? Stand up and go, yeah, that's my fault, sorry. It's 
hard job, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, or, or yep, I, I blew that. I completely misread that situation, made a horrible mistake, yeah, my bad. Never heard anybody say that. No one likes to stand up and take responsibility for the darkness themselves, but I'm here to tell you this, the primary cause of the darkness in your life is not what's happening around you, it's what's happening in you. And until you recognize that, you're never going to find the light, because you're going to keep looking in all the wrong places. You're going to keep looking for some sort of solution to a problem that isn't fixed by that solution. Instead, we need to look to the remedy that God has given to us. Which, as Isaiah tells us in this, in this text, is, comes in the form of a child. But not just any child. The Christ child. See, look at how God fixes this darkness. He gives this son whose name shall be called, and we know what his name is, right? His name is Jesus. But his name shall be called. Now, what does that mean? Is that, that's just describing who he is. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. We heard the choir sing all these things last week in, in the Messiah. And indeed, this is where that text comes from. Or this is the text that that, that that piece of music comes from. Let's talk about these things. This is, this is the remedy here. Wonderful counselor. Has anybody... Experience. I, I've been to counselors. I've been to many counselors before. Now, now, what is the job of a counselor? I'll tell you what the job of a counselor is not. And any of you that have ever come to me for, for counseling, although I'm not a counselor, I, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be, you know, what I'm about to say, you may prevent a lot of that. I'll have more free time, right? Uh, the job of a counselor is not to tell you what you want to hear or to make you feel better. Sorry. It's not to make you feel better. People say, well, I came here because I need to feel better. Well, okay. Well, what I'm about to say may not help with that in the short term. You see, the job of a counselor isn't to say, oh, you know what, poor you, there, there, it'll be okay. The job of a counselor is to tell you the truth, right? The job of a counselor is to, is to, to help you to look at your situation in a, in a truthful way. Because the problem and the reason why we need counselors is because we are in darkness and we can't see what's going on around us. And we need someone else who can look in in our world and say, this is the real problem. This is the real situation. You're misreading it. Stop doing that. People don't like hearing that, by the way, in counseling. Stop doing that. That's usually, you're not going to come back. Now, Jesus is, is not just a counselor, he's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor, which means this, you know, everything he tells you to do is going to be the best thing to do. Everything he says to you is the truth. You see, not every counselor can do that, because counselors are, are, are human beings too. I, I'm sure I've given people counsel that probably hasn't been the best counsel before, and they say, well, that's your fault. Sorry, just doing the best I can, you know. But, but Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Everything he says is trustworthy. Everything he says is true. And every piece of advice, which I would argue that Jesus doesn't give advice, he, he gives commands and he gives truth, is something that you can walk in and live in, no matter how difficult it may seem at the time. I, I was having a conversation with a, a, a good friend of mine on the phone last week who's going through an amazingly difficult situation. An unbelievable tragedy has occurred in his life. And, and, and now there's all sorts of issues that are related to that. He's got to navigate his way through it. And, he, and he's faced with a very difficult decision. And he says, what am I supposed to do? And, and I said, look, I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I'm here to ask you a question. What do you think Jesus would have you do? And, and you know what? Here, here's the thing. Even in the midst of kind of confusion about what it would look like or how it was going to go or, or, or how to feel about it, when I asked him that question, what would Jesus have you to do? 
bam, he shot the answer right back to me. He knew exactly what Jesus would have him do. Well, my next question to him was, well, are are you going to do it? You see, here's the thing. Even when it's difficult to walk into that truth or to live in that truth, we can trust, this is what I told him, that wherever God is guiding you, that's the best place for you to be. Even if it seems like a difficult place, even if we don't want to face that truth, even if we feel like we'd rather live in this darkness, wherever Jesus is guiding us is ultimately the best place for us to be. And and as difficult as those things may be, when you walk in obedience, God will give you those resources to walk through that and be faithful in it, and he'll walk through the results with you as well. But if we choose to disobey God and run back into our darkness, then we can't therefore turn around and curse God for why we're still there. But many of us do that, don't we? We refuse to listen to the, to the advice of our wonderful counselor. We, we walk the other way and then things continue to get worse. And then we turn our fists to God and say, why are you doing this to me? When all the while God is saying, walk in truth. Walk in the light. He's the wonderful counselor. This is what the Jews needed, by the way, was to know the truth. Not to have a great army. And they didn't need a great army because God themselves is, as we read here, the almighty God. The almighty God. There is nothing that God cannot accomplish that he desires to accomplish. There is nothing greater than the love of God, the power of God. And and, and the reminder here is that our God is is not this mamby-pamby, kind of, you know, cheesy little wimpy God. He's the almighty God. So when he says, this is the truth, walk in it, that, that's, that carries weight to it. He doesn't just offer that kind of suggestion and say, well, whatever you decide to do, I'll just be here with my little lamb around my neck and my feathered hair and my blue sash. It's not what he says. He says, this is the truth, walk in it. Or live in darkness. He's almighty. That means that that when you trust in him and you walk in his way, you have nothing to fear because he walks with you. He's the almighty God. He's the everlasting father. You know, I'll tell you, I've learned more theology from from being a dad than I ever learned reading any book or listening to any sermon. No disrespect to Pastor Mike. But when when, when my children were born and I, and I, and I, I looked at them, I thought to myself, well, this is incredible. If God loves me more than I love these kids, then, wow, I really don't have anything to worry about, do I? Now, my kids would look at me and they'd go, Ha! What? You're going to tell us we don't have anything to worry about? I mean, come on. The kids down the street have a way better iPod than I have. You know, the, that, that boy down the street has cooler shoes or, or this girl up the road has a better coat. Come on, Dad, what are you talking about? See, here's the deal. My love for, for my kids doesn't have a whole lot to do with their circumstances some of the times. Because as they will tell you, life is miserable in my house. I'm a slave driver, right? I actually make them pick up their stuff. Can you believe that? I tell you how many times my son said to me, this is slavery, Dad! And I remember one time I got in his face, and I, I pulled him up, and I said, let me tell you something. There are people in this world, I just read something about slavery and, and about human trafficking or whatever, and I, I pulled him up, and, his, and he wasn't ready for this. I got in his face. I said, you know, there are kids right now that are living in slavery. There are people that have been actual slaves and you're going to equate your living in this beautiful house with everything you could ever want with that? How offensive! Right? And they were just like, I don't know what he just said, but that's not good. <laughs> but, but, but at times, you know, we're going through life, we don't understand sometimes the, the love of a father, right? Because we're too quick to look at the circumstances and say, oh, woe is me. 
But let me tell you something. Even in the moments of, of discipline, in the moments of, of, you know, maybe withholding something from them because we want them to, to earn something or live, learn a lesson or whatever or things they don't understand, there's never been a moment in, in, my, in either one of my kids' lives where no matter what has happened, no matter what words have been spoken, no matter what stuff's been broken, where they couldn't ever come up to me and climb up onto my lap and get a hug from their dad. Never. Would never turn them away from that. See, and, and a lot of us, we, we've lived that road, haven't we? We've walked that road with God. We, we've, we've moved away. We've, we've, we've rebelled from His discipline. We've, we've questioned His love for us. We've, we've balked at His provision. And we've, we've compared ourselves to others and say, but their dad lets them, dot, dot, dot. And yet, the scripture tells us that whenever we want, whenever we'd come to God, he would not cast us aside. He's our everlasting father. That's the remedy the Jews needed. Maybe that's the remedy you need. Maybe you need to know that despite your rebellion or despite your wandering or despite your, your, your ungratefulness, that, that God is ready to receive you into his arms and to protect you, to take care of you. Because that's what an everlasting father does. And also the remedy to this situation here is that this son, this child is called the Prince of Peace. Now that stands in contrary to, to, to their thinking about what we need. We need war. We don't need peace, right? We, we, need, we need a greater capacity to, have, to make war on our enemies. And yet here, the, here comes Isaiah and says, this remedy is the Prince of Peace. And I would say this. That's the ultimate remedy. It's the ultimate remedy. But I'm not just talking about peace in Israel or peace with you know, our neighbors or whatever we're talking about, although we need that in this world. The ultimate representation of, of, of this child when it comes to peace is the peace that this child would make between humanity and God. So what do you mean? Are we at war with God? Absolutely we are. Our sinful nature, our sinful flesh. There's a war that goes on inside us every day. That, that part of us that seeks to rebel against God. That part of us that, that, that chooses evil over good. That war that we live in that is opposed to God. That, that has demanded the wrath of God upon it. Jesus Christ has come to suffer that wrath. Jesus Christ has come to, to make that peace. To be that intercession. To be that mediator. To make that sacrifice. To offer himself up. So that you and I, when we stand before this holy and righteous God. Even with all of our sins before us. We can look at God and God will say, I don't see your sins anymore. I see the righteousness of my son. And you and I can have peace. That's how you have peace with God. You know that? It's not by giving a bunch of money to the church. It's not by being confirmed or baptized or going through some ritual or being nice. It's by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's where the peace comes from. And because he's done that, you can have that peace. See, this world is opposed to that. Jesus himself says in John chapter 3, you know this verse, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, for whosoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. But let's read on a little bit. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. You see, make no mistake about it. There are still people, and maybe still some of us, maybe still me, who at times would rather stay in that darkness than come out into the light. Because when I have to step into that light, you know what I have to admit? I have to admit that my darkness isn't somebody else's fault. It's mine. I have to admit that the problems in my life are chiefly the result of my own sin and rebellion. Because the situations in my life don't have to cause darkness. You know that? There are people, in, there are people all around that have horrible situations, horrible tragedy, horrible uh, calamity in their life, but yet they don't walk in darkness. So don't look at me and say, well, you don't know what's happened in my life. I got all these bad things happening around me. I, I get that, but that does not have to mean darkness for you. Because he's given us the light. But we have to come into that light. How do we do that? How do we step into that light quickly? I'll tell you something. It starts with getting real about ourselves. Let's listen to what uh, John says in 1 John chapter 5. He says, this is the message that we have heard from the beginning. We've heard it from him and we proclaim it to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Don't you see what he's saying? He's saying that if you want to walk in that light and have fellowship with God and have fellowship with one another, that you got to start by being real about your own sin. You got to start by, by confessing that and recognizing that if you're going to say that, Every, that all the problems are somebody else's fault and never your fault, that, then you've made God a liar. But that if you're willing but to, to, to look within yourself and say, yeah, these are my sins, then know that you've got this everlasting Father ready to receive you who will forgive you and scoop you up into his arms. Don't be afraid. Don't stay in that darkness for fear anymore. Sometimes kids cower in the darkness because they're afraid that when mom and dad find out what they've done, there will be judgment and punishment. It's not so with our everlasting Father. There's only judgment and punishment when we stay in the corner. But when we walk into the light, when we come to him, he scoops us up and says, now you understand the reason why you're broken and I can offer you the remedy. You ever fix what wasn't broken? I'll tell you something. God is not in the business of fixing what isn't broken. He's in the business of offering us exactly what we need to come out of that darkness and into his light. 
I, I would ask you to do that today. I would ask you to begin that journey of, of, of self-examination with the Holy Spirit to look at yourself and then look at your darkness around you and, and, and confess that to God and, and to, to be real about the, the lies you're telling yourself, the things that you're not listening to from the wonderful counselor, to repent of that, climb up into the arms of your everlasting Father, the one who is almighty and can accomplish anything, and experience that peace with God. It says at the end here that it is with zeal that God does this. It's God's zeal. I love that. It's not reluctance. It's not, well, I guess. I do that as a dad sometimes, right? It's with zeal. God says, I long to give you this gift. I long to give you this remedy to your problem. I long to bring the kingdom to you. He's ready to do it. He's more excited about Christmas this year than you are. And then your kids are who are looking at their presents, trying to figure out what they are. He's got the ultimate gift, the ticket out of your darkness. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that, Lord, you have made that way indeed. And that, God, as we turn from our sin, Lord, as we, as we stop blaming everybody else and, and recognize the areas where we've kept ourselves in that darkness, Lord, God, we ask that you would shine brightly on us, Lord. Help us to walk in obedience trusting, Lord, that we can crawl up onto your lap and receive that peace that you bring to us and then walk in the light as you are in the light. Indeed, these people, Lord, who have been walking in darkness, Lord, we see a great light and his name is Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.